Hello and welcome to What Else Do You Do? I'm your host, Masao. And today our guest is Raj Patel. Please introduce yourself. Hi, Masao. It's great to meet you. I'm Raj Patel. I'm working right now at Relic Games in Vancouver. And before that, I was at Ubisoft Toronto and a few other companies. And yeah, it's great to be here. Typically on the podcast, we talk about what else you do outside of game development, but this is part of our Asian developers working in the West series. So we're going to talk about being Asian. So let's start with the basics. What's your ethnic background? My parents are uh, descended from India, from the Gujarat province. It's tricky because I can't exactly say they're from India because they're actually from Kenya. Their parents are from India. Okay. Um, so my, the way my lineage goes is like uh, India to Kenya. And then my parents left Kenya in the 70s. So the political stuff was happening at the time. Mm -hmm. And basically, most of the Indians fled the country. Uh, a lot of them went to England, except my parents decided to come to Canada. As a result, I was born here. In okay. Toronto, actually. I feel like this is kind of a common story you hear with the Indian diaspora. Like it is immigration and re-immigration is a common story that Yeah, it, you hear you hear it a lot, right? It, it, that's why a lot of times the answer can end up being it's complicated. <laughs> right? Yeah. When like, okay, where are you from? And I, I used to enjoy that when I was a kid. Um because I'm a naive kid and when people would ask me where are you from, I wouldn't understand what they're asking me. Yeah. So so well it is kind of a dumb question. Like if you say where are you yeah. from, you would you would answer where you're from rather than like Right. So like where where your a little ancestors kid. from, you know, like I'm a little kid and someone says where are you from? I say the neighborhood. And they're like, No, no, where are you from? And I say, Oh, so so this is the city I'm from And they're like and so I would say like Toronto, right? Say, oh, yeah. no, no, where, where are you really from? I'm like, oh, you mean the suburb of Toronto? Oh, yeah, this, this is a specific, like, town I'm from. And it would, like, yes, go down this whole rabbit hole. actually from Toronto, right? Like, they're from right, the, yeah. <laughs> the surrounding areas. And it, it would go down this crazy rabbit hole of, like, where are you from? No, where are you really from? No, where are you actually from? But they would never actually clarify the question, right? <laughs> and then even they would get to the point of, like, no, where are your parents from? And I would be like, oh, from Nairobi in Kenya. And, and like... They would get so frustrated that I'm not just saying India. And only when I got older did I realize what was going on in those conversations. And then so I started having fun with it, right? And yeah. Now I'll say like Agraba or something, which is obviously a fictional place. <laughs> but but um, yeah, where are you from is like a whole thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely a, a, you know, a stereotype gag at this point. But um so how connected are you to India in terms of like, do you still have relatives there? Have you, have you visited? So that, that, yeah, it's a bit of a sore subject for me. Cause like, I'm not super connected there. Okay. I don't the relatives I have there are like, I've never met them. We're mm -hmm. like two or three times removed. Most of my, my immediate family, like my parents are here obviously. And, um, my extended family, so most of my aunts and uncles, they're in England because they all left Kenya and went to England, okay. like I mentioned, right? Other people further removed from me are in India, but I've never met them. And one thing that makes it a sore subject for me is like, I don't speak the language. I And I wish I did. So I've got an older sibling, a sister, she's two years older than me. And 
we were both born here and we both grew up uh in brampton actually um but at the time there weren't many indian people there right it was mostly mm -hmm. a white suburb and it's kind of a small town at the time um and we were growing up like my parents were struggling because they just moved to canada they didn't like my mom barely spoke the language they struggled and my older sister was struggling to integrate in school as well and she she speaks the language fine she's like no she doesn't speak it she knows the language but i've never heard her actually speak it because she's self-conscious about saying things the right way and stuff like that but mm -hmm. she can understand what people are talking right okay but with with me my parents uh never spoke the language to me directly they only spoke english to me and that's because my sister was having a hard time fitting in they were having a hard time fitting in and they realized if i'm gonna fit in i need to speak english and so they only spoke english to me and so as a result years later like i don't speak the language the extent of my understanding is a few words like you know when my mom's yelling at me wash your hands for dinner and stuff like that like yeah mm -hmm. I, I know know those those words but i don't speak the language and that extends to other things where i'm relatively disconnected from the culture like i don't have much connection to india directly okay i and i don't have too much connection to uh, like people i we have in uh, kenya still mm -hmm. um so a lot of my connection is like either tangential generally cultural so like you know how your parents are and stuff like that mm -hmm. and food like share, th th like yeah those, yeah those kind of shared experiential things mm -hmm. or like things i'm developing later in life which is really interesting when i was a kid it's, not only was i not taught a lot of these things but i also pushed them away to some extent because I also wanted to fit in. As a kid, there's nothing you want more than just to like fit in and be normal, right? You don't yeah. want to stand out in any way you can. So I also I mean, did not make an effort to learn a lot cool of these things. It wasn't to be an immigrant either. So right, I'm right. sure that wasn't, that wasn't something that you were really leaning into. Like when you know other kids are saying, oh, your food's weird, or this is weird, and that's weird. You just don't want to be weird. Yeah. That's the, at the end of the day, like most kids just don't want to be weird. And so I, I did not make an effort when I was a kid either. Now, later in life, I do, right? Now I'm trying to reconnect some of those things. And now I'm trying to uh, reconcile that and like learn that the diaspora has its own unique culture. My culture of being first generation Canadian is its own unique culture, right? And now oh, I've, sure, I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've met a lot of people, like, you know, not wasn't that long ago where I didn't really appreciate or realize that, you know? And it really changes a lot. Once you can start to accept that and you can start to have these conversations, it really changes things for me, especially. And that journey of reconnecting with a heritage that I didn't really connect to before is super interesting to me because like, there's a lot for me to discover, right? Mm -hmm. But it's, it'll, it's also a little tricky when there are people who are more connected to it. And I feel... I feel a little bit guilty for not understanding some of their references or like, I don't know that mm -hmm. movie or things like that. Right. And I, I wish I did. You feel like a, like an imposter or you're insufficiently Indian. A little bit. Yeah. I think all Asians, all, all Asian diaspora deal with some level, right. Where you'll get called uh, either a banana or a coconut, right. Like where they're like, Oh, you're, you're just white on the inside. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you feel like, or they'll call you like whitewashed or something like that. And it's mm -hmm. like, that's through no fault of your own. And it's not that like I, 
I, I chose to be any different. It's like, that's the culture I grew up in. So of course that's going to be like the first thing I learned, the first thing I adapt to. Right. And yeah, you feel like you're missing some street cred there and like that you're, yeah, it's a weird imposter syndrome when you enter some of those circles. Mm-hmm. But thankfully now that I'm older, like not only am I realizing that, you know, these are connections I can start to make again, but other people are realizing that, oh, they can help me with that. And they can, you know, shepherd other people through discovering these things and learning these things, which is really fun. That's really cool. So what are some of the things that you're reconnecting with? So one thing is Bollywood movies. When I was a kid, only rarely, once in a while, my dad would be watching a Bollywood movie, but I would never really sit there and watch it. You know, he's watching on a VHS he got from the grocery store or something. And, you know, sometimes it'd be a fun action movie or something. So I would watch like the fight scenes with the ridiculous sound effects and horrible action and like old uncle looking over man. the top <laughs> yeah 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 it's old uncle looking man with a mustache that does not look like arnold schwarzenegger at yeah. all you know like but like you know i'm like what is this this is insane right i would watch it and be entertained but i, I don't know what's going on i don't know what any of the dialogue is mm-hmm. and now it's interesting because I, a it's easier to access the movies b i can access them with subtitles or sometimes even dubbing, which is wild because I didn't have access to any of that before. So now they're more accessible to me to see the content. And B, I can now watch them with other people. So like on my Discord, like we'll have some people watch them. And uh, some of the people who are more connected to the culture in India will pick out a movie that they think I'll enjoy, right? Mm-hmm. And so them picking it out helps in the first place, right? Because I don't know what. Oh, because what to it's pick or how like to a sea of sea of movies. Like, how do you yeah. how do you choose the choose the better ones, right? Because like, yeah, even if we I'm say sure we like want to watch like else, a dumb yeah. action movie, like, how do you pick? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, right? <laughs> so they they can pick one out, which is good, and then we can find one with subtitles, and like that helps me experience it in a very different way, right? Now I can. Not only do I know what's going on, but I can connect with the language a bit because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm reading it, but I'm also hearing the real language, right? Okay. And, and things like that, I can start to understand. And because we're watching it as a shared experience, we can also have these conversations about it now, right? Of like, oh, this is why that thing happened. And that's, you have to understand the cultural context of this joke and things like that, which can be really interesting. And we're watching them also with like, you know, like non-Indian people as well, which also really helps with that conversation because now like more things have to be explained and we all have this more shared experience, which is really fun. Yeah, and because it's Discord, you can kind of have this like second screen experience that ha- happens kind of simultaneously. Yeah, very much, very much. And like the whole aspect of like conversing while you're watching the movie or being able to share memes later or talk about some crazy shit that happened, it's it definitely helps, right? And it, then yeah. for me, it helps with my understanding of like the movies, which you know gets me more of a connection to the culture. And beyond that, even there's things like music and things like that that are easier to connect to now. For sure. Like, like it's easier for me to go on Spotify and find, like, different genres of Indian music. And, like, I could find old stuff that my parents would have listened to, like, back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, music from the 50s or whatever. And I can find, like, more contemporary stuff that might even be closer to other music I might listen to now, right? For sure, um, yeah. Like someone yeah, was showing Spotify me the other day, has really like... kind of leaned into other markets more recently. Like even like in the last couple of years, like Japanese music wasn't very available on Spotify, but like they've managed to, I think, secure a lot more uh, deals. And it seems like the just kind of 
it's becoming much more of a global source for music than it used to be. Yeah, and we saw that with Netflix too. It's as Netflix started to expand, they started to get a lot more international content, right? And now they're at a point where they're making international content. So if you get a VPN, you start browsing Netflix internationally, you'll see like, oh, they're not just making original movies and series for the English audience. They're doing it in like all over Asia, honestly. Like, oh, for it's sure. Wild, right? And well, it's a huge market, right? Like, India. I mean, there's so many people yeah. in India, you know. And, and so, like now, if you go on Netflix in Canada. You're seeing like all the Korean stuff and all the Indian stuff and all the Chinese stuff. And uh, I think they even have some Thai stuff there. Like all, all like the, all the stuff they make in the Asian market is coming over to Netflix Canada because they're like, oh, yeah, that diaspora market in Canada is huge. And well, they, could, they could double dip with all that content. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, like when Netflix makes a deal, they make global deals. They don't they don't make regional yeah. deals for the most part. So it's free for them. Like they're, you know, like if they're making like movies or TVs, TV shows for Japan, you know, it just costs them the cost of like subbing and dubbing to, to have it across the world. So it makes no sense for them to not. Right. Because like, even if it's a significantly smaller population than you would find in the, well, I guess in the case of India, it's probably not, uh, it's not even, I mean, the diaspora is so big for, yeah, they could probably make as much money with yeah. Indian content outside of India as they do within India, right? And For sure. I mean, this is one thing that I'm I'm jealous of kids today in so many ways, right? And, and one of them is like that ability to access content is like when I was a kid, I had no access to a lot of content, right? Like yeah. there's just what's on TV and what I can find in the library. That's it. And I'm not even just talking about like, you know, content from India or anything like that. It's just just content in general, in general. That, yeah. that, that's all you can access right For sure and, yeah and even accessing it you've got to do the legwork to find it yeah it's it's not easy right and today yeah i remember, I remember if, if going I wanna... to cd shops and like yeah <laughs> and talking to the the employee and be like yeah i like this kind of music do you have anything more you know yeah and finding that obscure disc or something right yeah. that's like oh wow how'd you find that it's a rare import kind of thing and now everything's there right i remember my parents telling me I, I always ask them about, like, what they experienced when they came here. I mean, I used to always ask them, like, why did you move to Brampton? <laughs> typically, that was the question I would ask in the winter. I'm like, yeah. why, why, why would you come from Kenya to Canada? Like, what are you doing? Look at, look at the snow. I hate the cold, right? I guess easier summers. <laughs> well, what I, when I, asked, I used to ask them all the time, like, okay, what racism or other kind of issues did you experience when you came here? And my parents are very much about shielding me from what they experienced. So they would just say none. There was no racism. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's bullshit, obviously. <laughs> right. But um, they, they would tell me one story about how they would have to travel from Brampton to Kensington Market in Toronto to get food that they recognized. And so that was a trip that they would make every weekend. And that was a long trip. They did not have a car for a while and it was not a cheap trip and they did not have a lot of money. Right. But they just needed to ha get food that they recognized like Asian vegetables and stuff. So coming to Kensington market, they can find it there and in Chinatown because there were, there were no Indian grocery stores in Brampton at the time when they first moved. Right. And they would have to put in a lot of work to find things. And then eventually the, those grocery stores in like Chinatown and in Kensington market would start having like Indian mixtapes 
and Indian movies and stuff like that and other ways for them to connect with their culture. Mm-hmm. And when my dad moved here, um, they they left most of their possessions in Kenya, except my dad brought a few reel-to-reel tapes, just a handful of them. And he, I, I have them now on my shelf, but he kept them for so long because that he's like, I need to have that music with me because that's my only connection to my culture. Mm-hmm. When I moved to Canada, I have nothing else. And for the longest time, that's all they had, right? Um, and then eventually there was like Indian AM radio stations started up and they're able to access some culture that way. And I think about that a lot and, and like how how tough it must be to just be so divorced from the culture you know. Not even just the culture you like, just the culture you know, like not even having food you recognize or music that you know and no way to access it. Must be so tough. So mm-hmm. no wonder they went through the expense and the time to come all the way to Toronto to access some of that, right? Mm-hmm. And I look at kids now and like the amount of stuff you can access on Spotify, right? Yeah. So I could not only look up Indian music, but I can find a, a weird subgenre that only like kids are into, right? <laughs> That's yeah. like I don't I don't know the Indian equivalent of dubstep or whatever, right? Like yeah, stuff that like my parents wouldn't even know, but it's like this niche thing, and like I could get into it, right? And it's it's all there at my fingertips. I just have to look for it. So if you're an immigrant kid now, it's easier to access your culture and all these other cultures and things are there for you in a not and not it's not to say that you don't have problems, but that the idea of access is gone. Yeah. Which means the ability to connect to things is there. And I think that also extends to our ability to connect to things that also aren't ours uh, initially. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you brought up Japanese music. Right. And yeah, I can now go on Spotify and listen to some nice like Tokyo city jazz from the seventies or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I might not have even been aware of that genre before. And now it's like, Oh, I can get into this. Yeah. It really expands my global reach. There's a, there's kind of a increased appreciation of like Japanese pop music from like the seventies and eighties, which has been kind of interesting. Like you see it a lot in like TikTok and stuff. And I'm like, it's kind of odd for me because like for so long it was not cool music for the west <laughs> yeah and like you, you said with a lot of types of music like i see that on tiktoks all the time where like they'll turn like music from like a subgenre that you wouldn't even expect them to like and it becomes a meme and mm-hmm. all of a sudden that's like a gateway to discovering that type of music for a lot of yeah. people right sure, and i think yeah. um Especially with music, right? I think people are much more affable now to becoming global citizens of music. And they're much more used to experiencing different cultures. Kind of the way that in the past couple decades we've done with food. Because, like, in the 90s, like, people did not eat different types of food outside of their culture and the local culture. For sure, right? Expecting other people to have eaten like, sushi, sushi or Indian food or like Chinese um, food was like the Ch- yeah, Chinese you know, food, like, yeah, like North American style Chinese food was as far as they kind of went. Yeah, they wouldn't have had dim sum in the nineties, no, right? Like that that was not. that wasn't a conversation. And now it's like just people would have been freaked out by like things like chicken feet and <laughs> stinky tofu. And <laughs> yeah, and now now it's kind of normal. It's like, yeah. hey, what do you, what what kind of food do you want to get? Let's get food from that part of the world. Yeah. And it's fantastic, right? It's it's so good to see because people aren't weirded out by, I don't like using this word, but ethnic food, mm-hmm. right? Like they're not weirded out by it anymore. They're like, 
they might say, oh, that's unusual. I've never had that or whatever. But the idea of having food that's not just burgers, fries, and that's about it, like, it's fine. I mean, is, I mean, there's still stuff that I think, like, pushes the people's comfort zone. And sure, I think there always will of, be, though. There's definitely <laughs> things that people do not react well with, but... Uh, <laughs> But the concept of having food that's from like another culture, yeah, I think, that I think, that in like, itself concept, has not conceptually, become, yeah. it's fine. Yeah, I mean, you do kind of occasionally see people who are just like, no, I only eat like cheeseburgers, but like, I mean, yeah, I, I see increasingly I, kind of belittled still, and made fun of for. Yeah, saying I, I, like I still that. know some of those people, and right, like they they still exist, but they're also like they're not like going, oh, you're eating what kind of food, and like yeah. that, they're just like, I don't eat it. Yeah, they're and becoming the minority, if anything. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, you know, in the 80s, 90s, it would have been like, you know, why does your food stink? Is all you eat curry? Yeah. And like questions like that, like I would get as a kid. And it's like, I can't imagine kids are getting that the same way now. I mean, kids are kids, so I wouldn't be surprised if... Uh... <laughs> True, yeah. But yeah, it's increasingly, uh, I think cultural awareness and acceptance is definitely uh significantly higher than it was i mean yeah, maybe, I, I moved maybe. to north america in 96 yeah even in the time i've been here it's it's really changed quite a bit and i appreciate it. i'm probably in a bit of a bubble right because i'm in downtown toronto i'm right right downtown so i'm kind of at, in this area where any country's food that I want to eat, I could probably get it within a few blocks. Mm-hmm. Like I, I am kind of in the at this epicenter of like different cultures of food in the country, right? Which is fantastic for me, but that's probably skewing me a little bit, right? Like I'm sure, like in some towns, it's more of a struggle and it can be a whole thing. But I just think overall, it's just generally better than it was, which is sure. you know a great sign, both in terms of like food and music and. Like, I even think, like, oh, if I go grocery shopping, it's easier to find different ingredients. Like, I don't have to go across town to find uh, certain things that are, like, you know, cultural ingredients and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, as a Asian Canadian, how do you feel about that term? Because, like, you know, like, it encompasses so many different kinds of experiences and people with ethnic backgrounds. Like, what does that mean to you? Yeah, that's that's a tough one, right? I mean, they're all tough ones. But like the term Asian Canadian, I struggle with it because I feel like I've always got to defend myself on that one. Because a lot of times when we're talking about Asians, and then I'm South Asian, right? And a lot mm-hmm. of people don't consider South Asians Asian. It's like, oh, you, you're not East Asian, so you're not what I'm considering when I'm saying Asian. And so I always... I know, like, not everyone says that, yeah. but I always feel like there's going to be that reaction, and I've always got to feel like I need to be ready to say, "Oh, by the way, South Asians are Asian, <laughs> right?" Yeah. I will, well, I mean, I South Asian is different where you are, right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I had um, uh, Sam on the podcast talking about this, yeah. fairly recently, yeah. and and he was talking about how, like, in the UK, the default Asian is South Asian, like right, East right. Asians are not. I mean, they, they're like... It's, it's oh, very well, much a North Asian, American thing. that's not what they mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's very much very North American. Probably more more so American than Canadian, right? But that's that's often a reaction. It's really I, interesting. I, I, I don't know. I think it depends on the province, maybe. Because, like, I think 
in the West, I think there's more East Asians. There's a lot of East Asians. And I mm-hmm. think Quebec, I think when people think Asian, they typically think East Asian. Although it's hard to say. It's hard to say with Quebec especially. Yeah. <laughs> but uh well, because yeah, it's such a this is such a weird place in terms of like immigration because of the whole French factor. And I think that's where a lot of it comes from is like immigration trends and what people are used to, right? Sure. And I think like in the UK, that was like basically a lot of South Asians came over as like different political things happen and a result of colonization, right? And so just like how a lot of my family went to England, right? Um, well, there were and political so, and economic connections, right? The, the, yeah, the yeah. consequences of the, you know, like years and years of colonization and being part of the Commonwealth, you know, you had you had people going back and forth, so. Yeah. And I don't know, it's, it's tricky, right? Because that's that's like another level where sometimes I feel like as a South Asian, I don't belong when people say Asian. And mm-hmm. like that's something that I've been pushing myself, pushing back on myself with for a couple of years now, right? Of like reminding myself, no, no, I'm Asian as well, and it, we can talk about this together. And we we face similar issues a lot of the times as well. So there's value in us talking for about sure. it together, right? Um, and like that's one thing I like. So like you know people like Sam, I've talked a lot about this with because. A lot of us face similar issues, but also different issues in interesting ways. And it's fun to kind of share and compare, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, like a lot of the people I know from like Middle East countries or um, different parts of South Asia or different parts of Asia in general, like we have, we all have similarities and there's there's obviously some differences, but there's also just these cultural touchstones that we, we can all relate to mm-hmm. versus people from Europe or the Americas. Right. And there's also that thing with the diaspora of recognizing that you fit in with the diaspora. Right. And being able to accept that. And I mentioned, like, you know, I had that, I I don't want to say imposter syndrome, but I I felt lesser than and not quite worthy. Like, I felt in between Mm -hmm. for a long time. Right. Like, I'm not really Indian, but I'm not exactly Canadian that's how it felt for a while right Mm -hmm. and so it it takes time to start to reconcile those two into you know asian canadian and start to realize no that in and of itself is an identity and it has parts of the other two but in the combination is its own thing as well for sure yeah and i think i'm still on a bit of a journey of like figuring out what does that mean for me right and i think about like you know other like younger asian canadians and are they struggling the same way? I don't know. And maybe we can help them. I, mean, I don't presumably, know. Presumably, you know, identity is a complicated thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And if anything, you know, if the younger generations, even, I, I mean, I guess they could still be, you know, second generation or even first generation. But uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's a complicated subject. I mean, I struggle with my Asian identity a lot as well because, like. I'm um I'm mixed. I'm half Asian and half uh, half Caucasian, but I grew up in Japan. So when I moved to the states, <laughs> like I thought of myself as an Asian person. So like I don't, and now I'm like living in Canada. So like, I mean, I'm I I 
I was I wasn't even sure if I was Asian American and now I'm in Canada. So I'm not I'm really not sure where I stand. Yeah. <laughs> Am I now Asian Canadian since I've been here for 15 years? Like like yeah, like what does that even mean? Because, you know, I don't think Americans ever become Canadian for, you know, regardless yeah. how, li- how long they live here, right? So you know, so in the same way that Canadians, I don't think, become American <laughs> from it's living like, in the United States. So, like, so it's kind of, do I don't even, do you, I have no idea. I don't know why. Do you know I the difference anymore. between, like, uh, categories and tags in terms of, like, organizing things? So, when you have categories, categories tend to be, like, mutually exclusive things. Mm-hmm. So, you have, like, fruit, vegetable, meat, and dairy are, like, categories, right? It's either yeah. in one of those columns or the other column. It can't be in both. Right. When you have like a tag system, you can put tags on things and things could have multiple tags. Mm -hmm. Right. So I can have an orange. That's a piece of fruit. It's round, grows on a tree. Right. Be multiple things. Yeah. And I kind of think like these definitions of uh, what we're talking about, these identity definitions are more like tags than categories. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you're not and I'm not either Asian or Canadian for example, right? And I don't have to be one of I can have like a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And like, I can identify as one thing. People can treat me as another thing. And my history could be a third thing, right? And there could be like a, a bit of a sampling there. And I think if we can start to get away from those rigid categorizations and more to like, oh, I've got a bit of this in me or I, I, I enjoy a bit of that. And I've got some of this in my culture, that kind of thing. It's more inclusive that way, right? And like we're talking about the ingredients that make us who we are rather than define ourselves by these narrow set that none of us really fit in. And I think that's why a lot of us struggle is because I, I don't feel like I quite fit in any of those categories. <laughs> yeah. But I don't need to. That's true. Kind of not feeling like you neatly fit into it is really part of the, you know, the <laughs> yeah, North very American much, Asian know. struggle anyway. So, yeah. And like I would love for us to like, as a community talk about that more right like talk talk about our unique identity as like not fitting in and what does fitting in even mean do we want to fit in why do we want to fit in right well um we've been going for a while so let's let's kind of pivot into kind of game development and your experience in the games industry as a as an asian person how do you think being asian has impacted your experience being asian in the games industry has been tough And it's weird because it's not like I've experienced direct racism too much. There's been a couple incidents, a couple of them were bad, but nothing too prevalent or pervasive. But a lot of the experience is just feeling marginalized and that I don't fit in. Mm -hmm. That, what I say, is the biggest and most persistent thing, right? It took me a while to find my voice and confidence. And because it's like I'm not seeing myself in the industry. I don't see anyone that looks like me. So that kind of adds to you feeling like an imposter that you don't, you can't have a voice and you hesitate a little bit to speak up on things, right? Just in general, not even about specific subject. As any marginalized people do, if you, you don't fit in in the room, you just, you don't want to make, make yourself smaller. Yeah. Because yeah. you're, you're not, you're not trying to. You feel because you have less allies. Yeah, you just don't have allies in the room, right? And so you're like, well, I don't want to be the nail that sticks out here. So let me just make myself smaller and just go with the flow because that's what I need to do. So that's what I did for a while. And it took me a while to learn to not do that. 
and not everyone could do that, right? Not everyone has the, the privilege of being larger in the room. But it was tough for me. And then what happened was I started to see things that I didn't like with games that bothered me and I wanted to change. Um, things like content that I thought was racially insensitive or things like that, or just could have been better, right? I don't want to say like, the racist things were happening, but things that could have been better and areas that we could have improved. And I realized no one was going to say anything. So it was up to me. If anything was going to happen, I, like, I need to say something. So I've been making an effort to, right? Even things like representation and like, let's not have stereotypes. Let's make sure that people are represented properly. Um, and I, I could have countless examples of like, oh, let's make sure like, uh, you know, the, we have like hairstyles in the game for black hair mm -hmm. and, and make sure there it's not just cornrows and an afro. Right. And like there's, or there's some options for natural black hair. Then it moves properly, that kind of thing. Yeah, or especially if you're like, going to have character customization, have have options right. that allow people to make them look like themselves. Right. Let, let's have options that um, look more authentic to different regions, right? Because not everybody of a certain race looks the same. Because there are regional differences in people's genes as well. Or even the idea that, like you know, race isn't like a category thing. Like I mentioned, like you're not either black or white or east asian or whatever like there's like nuances there and it's like a spectrum right like people from the islands have more uh let's say let's say spanish people from the caribbean don't look like spanish people from spain because the ones on the island have been mixing more with people of other races right so they have less less european features we'll say right and things like that, like this starts or, to happen. Or but... Indian, like you know, people talk about like <laughs> Indian being like a single, like <laughs> right, right, unified like race, and it's like right, it's and not, it's, it's, right, it's like crazy, there's, right? there's so much cultural and uh, you know even ethnic diversity within within India. Yeah, never mind like language and everything like that. But anyways, trying to see some of that diversity in the games makes a difference, right? And but some of the people developing the games don't want to have those conversations or don't even know that they should. And other people can be trying to be very diplomatic about it. And I found, at least in my career, I need to just not be diplomatic in those conversations and be like, because no one else will. Yeah. No one else will. Like Someone has to be explicit if you want to get the change. But also, you can't just ask for it. You ha like, I've found that I've got to really push on them and like get a bee in my bonnet and like keep reminding them. Otherwise over the course of a year, this character will gradually get more and more white. And I've just got to be like, hey, remember, they're supposed to be half black. And like, let's, 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 let's try to lean more into of a 10, Yeah. Right. And otherwise, like, if you just leave it on its own, everything drifts back towards the default. And it's not that anyone's trying to be anything funny. It's just like the default is the default. And that's just what people are used to. Yeah. If 95% of the people working on the game is white, then things are just going to default to white because yeah. that's what's natural to them. Yeah. But I, I found in my career, like, I, I guess anger has fueled me into, like, developing that voice of, like, no, I'm going to make sure some things change. And a lot of people encourage me on that now that I've started doing that. I still get some pushback. There are some people I have to fight with, but it's usually a handful of people. And usually those people don't want to directly say what they want. Like, I was working on one game, and I'm not going to mention the game, but my manager really wanted a white male protagonist. The game made no sense to have a white male protagonist. And I pushed back on it and I talked to like 
their narrative director and art director and everyone else involved was on board with having a protagonist that was not a white male because it just made more sense for the game. And it was more interesting and it was different than anything we'd done in the past. And the whole point was to do something different than we'd done in the past, right? Everyone was on board except for this one person. Except for this one person would not say explicitly that they didn't want a white male protagonist. It's just that whenever I presented one that wasn't a white male, they would come up with these like euphemistic excuses. Like, first they would try, like, oh, I'm not sure so and so would like it. And I'm like, well, it turns out so and so would like it because I asked them already. And it's like, oh, well, I'm not sure. Like, what about market research? And I'm like, well, I've got the market research right here. The market research backs me up. And they're like, oh, maybe we need to get more research then. And like, I'm just face palming, being like, do you just want to spend money on more and more research until it backs up what you want to do? And they would use phrases like, oh, we need to play it safe. And I would sit there thinking, safe for what? Safe for who? If you want to do safe for sales, you do what the market research says the consumers want. Yeah. Because that's what they're saying they want. That's the safest thing. And what they want is something different than what we've already done, which means either it's like a woman or a person of color or both. Right. But if I wasn't there pushing that, this person would have been the one person saying no, but nobody else would have wanted to fight them on it. So they, it would just would have gone through. Would be able would to have railroad it back into yeah. having a white yeah. dude. But at the same time, no one's explicitly saying they just want it to be a white dude. They're just saying all everything else they possibly can. Right. And that kind of thing gets me so mad that I'm like, okay, you know what? I, I need to be in these conversations and like, Sometimes it's a matter of bringing the conversation up because I noticed in a lot of games, they just don't think about these things until the end. And then it's at already the end, out and then yeah. now they're, they're, you know, being flamed on Twitter and they're like, yeah, but yeah, that's not what we meant. <laughs> you know, kind the, of bullshit. You, the game, the game's already out or even it's, it's like the year before the game's supposed to come out and like, there's no time to make scope changes then. Like, oh, like, oh, you want more hairstyles? We can't do that. We were like a year to ship. We got to just get it done. So I, I've learned like, oh, if I want to see these things in the final game, I need to say it now and I need yeah, to push it now. So that early. It, yeah. it, it becomes needs to, part it needs of the to be scoped in, yeah. For and sure. if you do that, everyone's on board and it's fine, right? But someone has to be that voice to push. But I've realized like people who aren't marginalized will not have those conversations and push because they're not, it's not a priority for them. They don't even know that it should be a priority. Right. And it's not that they're trying to be racist or sexist or anything like that. It's just like, they're not used to thinking that way. They're used to just accepting the default yeah. and it's fine. Well, it's never and, occurred to them for a lot of them. Like it's right. crazy how many conversations I've had with like, well, why do you think that? And they're like, well, I've never, I've never, never had to reach the question. It. Yeah. I've never yeah. questioned it. Yeah. But, but like a lot of times, once you do push it, they're totally on board. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, that's a good point. Let's do that. But someone has to do that initial push. And then someone also has to be there as a reminder so it doesn't drift back to default, right? And I've, I've come to realize in my career that has to be me. So in every game I'm on, it's me. And on some of them, like, I'll, I'll bring it up and people will back me up to the point where they get as excited as I am about it. Because for most game developers... What I'm talking about basically just means let's get some variety in our game, which means let's make it less boring. Yeah. And like, yeah, most people are all for it. Like people are, yeah. people are tired of doing the same thing. Like, especially people yeah. who've been in the industry for 10 years, like they've made like already 10 games about like angry, 
angry white dudes you know <laughs> like yeah like if you look at like the work that concepts artists do for fun yeah like they're always like trying to show something different and cool which means like oh what other cultures can i show and like stuff like that right yeah. they just want to do different things because they're bored and like same with like narrative designers they're all like what can I tell a story from a different perspective? How can I do that? They mm-hmm. want to have some fun. Yeah. So they try different and sneak settings, it in. Yeah, different characters. Seem very few. Like, if anything, I think that typically the traditional people who have been kind of the producers and the marketers that are worried that like somehow this is going to ruin sales. But as more and more games come out that have like diverse characters and do very well, their argument for that is becoming less and less. Uh, I think so. But tangible. in, in my experience, in my experience, like a lot of the industry wants to say they follow the data and they do not. They go on their hunches. And yeah, like that example, sure. the protagonists are brought you, right? They'll try and find data that backs up their hunches or try and interpret the data that backs up their hunches. 90% of the industry, probably more, just goes on what they want to do. Yeah, so, well, it, goes if, with, if, it goes with their gut until like yeah. They, yeah. they feel like they need to argue it and then... Well, and then they go fishing for data anyway. So they'll, they'll, yeah. they'll try to find data that like you know, matches their gut rather than like... If you have like product director that just wants to make a white protagonist game, he's going to do that. It doesn't matter what the data says because he'll find data that agrees with him, right? Because he's convinced. And it's, he's like, he's, no. He's convinced. He, he knows Maybe he's he right. made that one game in the 90s that like had yeah. a female protagonist and then didn't sell. And then he's going to hold on to that for the rest of his life. And, and like, I, I've tried so hard with the data and like the data is not a convincer. It's not a way to push them into it. Like the One thing that I found to convince people though is memes. So, so far, that's been my secret weapon of convincing people. So I don't know if you've seen the meme of like the average video game protagonist. And it's like a 30 something white dude with a beard. <laughs> There's more than one occasion I've used that meme on a slide to make a point of. Do we want to be meme? one of these games? Yeah. And like one time I actually put it on a slide and I stuck in the existing protagonist they were using. And I like, see if you can find him in this mosaic. And it's like a mosaic of like all the faces of like these generic white dudes. <laughs> and like their protagonist is hidden among it. It's like, find your protagonist. And they couldn't find him. And I'm like, that's not and a I remember good <laughs> the art. The art director literally gasped. And he said, oh, my God, is that what we've been doing? Yeah, we need to change. And like instantly he was on board of like, let's do something different. That's great. Yeah. And so all the data in the world won't do it. But like that meme could make a point so quickly because everyone yeah. just understands it so quickly. And no, nobody wants to be a shitty meme. That's the other thing. For sure. Yeah. Well, um, let's wrap up. Give us a final thought, an uh, Asian thought, if you will. <laughs> I, how am I going to answer that? I don't know. Uh, well, I, I make a joke about this because, like, obviously, like, the, what is an Asian thought? I've defined I mean, an Asian thought, thought, thought as, an, as a thought that comes from an Asian person. You're an Asian person. So whatever you think of is an Asian thought. I, I, you know what? It's a bit of advice is I want everyone out there to, like, connect with each other more, right? And, like, find each other. Because that's the one thing that's been helping me is finding other Asian people I can talk to about this stuff. And I've noticed with a lot of other Asian people, like, finding other people in the game dev industry who are asian and us just talking to each other has been so helpful to all of us like we all get tired of these conversations and these fights but being able to vent to each other is the biggest thing so including this conversation by the way so thanks for this (laughs) well thank you very much this is uh this was a, a great conversation and i'm i um i really appreciate it thank you for your time and have a great day you too thanks so much take care Thank you for listening. Thank you to Dave Wallace for providing the music. And thank you to Therese Lance for providing the logo. Bye.